another button. Welcome to Cannabis Legalization News, where today we're going to be discussing social justice and cannabis with Akili. Akili, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Akili Parnell. I'm a cannabis attorney, uh, now soon to be an economic and community development attorney with the Chicago Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights. Uh, my background is uh, started in the industry about a couple of years ago, working for Green Thumb Ministries, Inc., which is one of the largest uh, multi-state operators in the cannabis space based in Chicago. Um, there I was in-house attorney working on a wide range of transactional matters and then also on our social impact uh, plans um, and initiatives. I'm also a member of Chicago Normal, which was or is one of the main organizations in the Chicago and Illinois, uh, in the state of Illinois, too, um, advocating for the advancement of social equity and restorative justice and cannabis legalization. Is GTI, I saw that was in your resume, is, is GTI uh, a medical company then? Yeah, so they do both. Um, you know, it depends on the market. When Illinois was, you know, just medical or it is just medical now, you know, here we, you know, sell medical cannabis. Uh, but, you know, states like Nevada um, and Massachusetts, we sell medical and recreational. They sell medical and recreational cannabis. Oh, shit. So it's a big company. It ain't just the one state. No, it's uh, probably the second or third biggest, probably second most valuable. Yeah, um, I mean. They even you can buy their stock. I mean, it's OTC. You can buy it. Yeah. They have a stock that's out there you can buy. And how many states are they're operating in many different states? How many states is GTI operating in? And we have licenses. They have licenses. I'm no longer there uh, as of a couple months ago. Um, but I think uh, they have licenses little brand, they do, yeah. like their rhythm brand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, can you tell us about their rhythm brand uh, and, and give us some background on that? Do you, are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's found yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of our most popular brand. Um, you know, covers a wide range of products. Um, you know, quality really trucker head. find your rhythm. Did you guys trademark that? Do you know anything about the, the IP of GTI? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a little bit, um, but I don't know about the find your rhythm, whether or not that's trademark, but, uh, of course that, you know, there's limits on the amount of, you know, protection you can get, you know, uh, right. Uh, that's it. That's what I explained to my clients about when they talk about the uh, the IP. They're always mm -hmm. like, well, should I get that protected or that protected? I'm like, you have to understand what this protection issue means. Okay, right. you're pay me to go get you this protection. And then if somebody comes, you're going to have to pay me some more money to go shut it down. And so right. it, it's an investment in something. And then is it even the right time to do it? You know, so I'll say like, all right, is anybody trying to steal your idea yet? No. Well, mm -hmm. Put it, you know, once you get out there, sure, fine, protect yourself. But they have to understand that it's it's just a lot of money that you're going to be paying to a lawyer to tell some other company yeah. to do something. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the big, I mean, the big thing you want to do is, you know, you want to like distribute your brand as broadly as possible and, you know, get to the market first and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's the main way that you can protect yourself right now, you know, right. until federal legalization, although, you know, I'm not an IP attorney, but, you know, I know the basics. So. Well, hey, sure. oh, go ahead, Mickey. Well, I was just going to say, in cannabis and branding, I mean, in the whole, uh, uh, it's like with Gorilla Glue, you know, uh, right now it's going against everybody that's creating some shit instead of like, right. I just made this strain that everybody, like, no one's going to uh, uh, IP fucking Blue Dream, you know, that's already, Dream. you know, yeah, something it's old. Yeah, yeah, it's already established as something and I think really all cannabis things are 
like that right now as far as when it comes to branding. Though what I've seen have is uh, like extraction processes. Like that's the way that people are saying this is my way to do uh, to make shatter or whatever the heck, you know, that's one way of definitely patenting in uh, uh, intellectual property type stuff, you know, yeah. as far as cannabis goes. But yeah, Akili, what are you what, what are you doing now as far as like, because you're the social equity guy, right? You're the. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be, you know, uh, that's what I care about the most in the industry. That's why I got involved, um, sort of advanced that uh, from the inside. Uh, so right now I'm working with a couple teams to apply for a license in Illinois. Um, Chicago area is ideal. Mm. Uh, so hopefully I'll be on the, be an operator soon. Um, oh, wow. Hey, mm-hmm. let's talk about how they're just kind of doing some crazy stuff, in my opinion, in Chicago. And you're mm-hmm. probably more familiar than I am if you're that close to it. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the way that Chicago is going to allocate licenses? Yeah, so you probably heard of this con- the lottery concept. Is that a reasonable regulation that they have the authority to do under the statute? I think it's an arbitrary regulation. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, let's talk about how Chicago is going to try to roll this out. Go. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So, okay. So the first step is you get a license from the state. You know, the state handles the licensing. They create the licensing regime. They issue the licenses. Um, so after you get a license from the state, then you have to go through zoning approvals um, at the city level. Uh, so in Chicago. Um, they've come up with an ordinance just passed, I think a week ago or a couple weeks ago, um, the ordinance passed that will create a lottery for people with state licenses to apply uh, to get, you know, the initial zoning approval uh, for the location of their dispensaries. Um, and so the way that's going to be handled, at least in terms of your appearance before, you know, the zoning board will be through a lottery. So we don't know all the ins and outs of that because they haven't issued like regulations on that. That's sort of the next big thing that the state, the city has to figure out is, you know, how are they going to handle the lottery? I think it's going to be interesting. Well, I, I think the, I think the city's going to get sued because, like, yeah. how is that reasonable? How Because the, the, the municipality, unless there's some carve out in the statute that I haven't read that's germane only to the city of Chicago, wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I, I just don't know if that a lottery is a reasonable zoning restriction to the applicant who is awarded that license by the state. And now right. you're going to make that person because that person is on a time bomb. I mean, like not a time bomb, but, you know, they have an expiring window of approximately one year from the time mm-hmm. that they're awarded the license to the time that they open. So is this lottery going to just totally screw over? Like you, what if your teams get totally mm-hmm. messed up because, you know, yeah. you have you you got your, your application in order. It gets highly scored. It's approved. Mm-hmm. You know, get open. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it creates an issue, especially for social equity applicants. So for one, you know, the regular licensees, the current medical operators, you know, basically got to figure out where all their locations are going to be and all that. And, you know, of course, they have, you know, the head start. And then, you know, we have this, you know, these new 47 licenses are going to be issued in the Chicago land area, you know, Um and we got to figure out how those are going to be allocated, but we want guys, so the city should want to prioritize social equity applicants and putting them in the same bunch as everybody else is distant, is not advantageous to them. doesn't really advance that. Um, and then it's probably not exactly fair because, you know, say you have, you know, you're from a certain neighborhood, you probably have, you know, relationships with real estate agents in that neighborhood, maybe you already own property and all that. Um, and so ideally you would, 
be sure that you would be able to locate your dispensary there, especially if you're a social equity applicant. I mean, you should be able to go wherever you Yeah, you should. You should. And that, that makes your application stronger because while you're yeah. not required to disclose that, it shows you that you're are like it's you're really trying to show them, here's mm -hmm. the award, here's when I'm open. And and throwing this wrench of a lottery into it that's saying, Oh, you won? Well, we'll let you know if you win again. And then oh, wow. you can win. That's right. just ridiculous. That's Chicago. Yeah. It's Chicago. You know how that goes. Right. Chicago yeah. is its own little Chicago's like imperialistic in Illinois. And so Illinois plays by the rules. Yeah. Unless you're in Chicago. Then it's, well, it's like, totally different. Yeah. It's like Seattle and Washington, but uh, you know, our our transition fucked a lot of people too in the sense that uh uh it was a requirement. Well, first off, we had medical first, and I really wish we did it like Oregon did, where it was just turnkey. Okay, you're medical today. Tomorrow, you're going to be recreational. Mm -hmm. Here, they fucked so many people over because at the time, I think we had uh, like a thousand dispensaries. And in those thousand dispensaries, uh, probably 60% of them were uh, from seed to sale. You know, the person in charge or the person behind it was a grower and also the storefront. And then Washington slice and dice the whole in, uh, market. Uh, they said, okay, to get a license, you have to uh, uh, prove that you have a, the lease agreement and all this stuff, you know, all these prerequisites. Now you get your license. And then months down the line, say there's a moratorium or something. Uh, now you're fucked. Now all your stuff's gone. Uh, every investment that you put into is just wasted. Uh, and it yeah. seems like you guys with the social equity applicant type thing, I mean, the whole emphasis is social equity, right? Like, this right. person should get a pass. This person's like, hey, while you're well, fucking up the I rules. Mean, you, have to, you have to understand, it, it's it's 20%. It's like, we're trying to fix this. And you're right. not going to really be able to be allowed in unless you address this 20%. And so every single cannabis winner, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I just, I think they should all be at least 51% owned and controlled by the social equity applicants. Right. Otherwise, you shouldn't get the points unless right. I have this, I have this conversation with some clients where I'm like, well, tell me about your coffee shop or tell me about your company that currently is social equity status because you have those full time employees and you would qualify. And if you right. don't have that, I just think it's disingenuous to start a company and like go to the state and like you're basically saying to the state, hey, um, I, uh, I have hired these 10 people. And then you go, oh, really? Where, where, where are these 10 people from? Well, I put them all on payroll. And, and what do you do, sir? I sell cannabis. Uh huh. Do you have a license to sell? No, I don't. I'm I am a I am petitioning for my license. And if you don't give it to me, you see those ten social equity people I gave jobs to, and you know they're just getting paid right now. I'm going to fire them, and then I'm going to sue you. Uh, it's just such a Chicago way to kind of look at the social equity issue. And I'm like, did did you read the statute? You know, and and but they. I, mm -hmm. And then did you see what the state did over the weekend? Like for Friday. No. no. Before and I want to go back to that third prong that you're talking right. about the 10 full time right. employees. Yeah, it. I have an issue with that one. I mean, I thought the point of the social equity program was to, you know, increase ownership in the industry, particularly. You know, of course you want to increase uh, diversity in those who are, you know, just being in the industry, have jobs and all that. But um, you know, the 10 full time employees thing, I feel like that's one set up for current operators to hire folks that are impacted persons to work in the dispensary or, you know, I guess it could be full-time in different capacities, but I mean, it seems like, you know, they would just be like butt tenders, managers, stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, but it doesn't address the ownership piece. So, you know, any well-funded, well-capitalized, you know, 
you know, company that has no diversity at the management level could meet that problem and take advantage of the social equity applicant status. Um, Boom. Yeah. And, and that's the problem. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, wait, you, you're not going to give them any ownership. I mean, did it's yeah. right there. And then if you read yeah. own and control, the, the ownership and control is like a literally a defined term in the definition. Yeah. And then it right. talks about, ownership, both in the profit and the loss. So like mm -hmm. when we're talking about those horror stories up in Washington state where all these people get screwed over and there's these furloughs that go on because you have one layer of government that says X and another layer of government that says Y and the permit lies somewhere in between. And they're setting that up with the city of Chicago with their, their lottery system. I'm like, okay, because think about the social equity applicants that are gonna be in the city of Chicago. There's a lot. If you look at the blue dots, Oh, on the portion map, you know, that's where they're at. And so are they just all going to get strung out and then just die mm -hmm. somewhere from lack of money? Well, what I think, and so I work with a lot of social equity applicants now. Um, of course, all the the uh, applications that I'll be a part of will be social equity, uh, you know, applicants. And uh, one of the big things, one of our big concerns is that they'll be taken advantage of by people that just want to put a name on an application and then submit and take advantage of it, try to you know, use a workaround to extract most of the profits out. I think, you know, the regulators actually did a good job on the ownership and control piece because they mentioned, you know, 10% of the yeah. ownership and the control and the profits and all that going to the social equity uh, owners. And I right. think it'd be interesting how people try to get around that. I think we'll have more clarity when, you know, IDPR releases their uh, responses to the questions. You yeah. know, can we do, good can we do MSAs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because the IPFR, they, yeah, they put yeah. this out on Friday where they just gave us a punt. So the notice, they the high volume of applications. Uh, so they were supposed to uh, get that out of the way. Uh, oh, crap. And so they were supposed to like answer questions about the actual application. And so they probably got jammed from all these types of social equity questions that we're discussing. And they punted for a whole week. But then think about we've talked about these new regulations that are coming in and the state having to take these times. And they actually also had to correct their application. And they're trying their darndest. They really are to like get get the application done in a timely fashion and get it open. But it would not surprise mm -hmm. me if uh, deadlines get pushed back. Uh, because yeah, yeah. getting more confusion by the day as opposed to less, you know. What's what's uh what's Illinois's uh, record legal date? What's your expected first door to open? January first. Yeah, but yeah, those are established. Yeah, go, Akili. I mean, you probably know a lot of the dispensaries that are going to be the ones that open on uh, mm -hmm. the first of the year. Uh, how many licenses do, did GTI like control? Uh, so I think, uh, I think they got the first five, um, of the adult use, conditional adult use, uh, licenses that were issued. Um, and then I think at this point there's like 11, but that, that's not in Chicago. That's, uh, statewide, so a lot of, mostly the suburbs. I think there's only one, uh, I think Bedmar is the only one that got approved in the city limits of Chicago. I mean, I expect like, you know, a lot of other dispensaries, I think there's like 11, in the actual mm -hmm. city of Chicago right now, I expect most of those to get approved by January one or shortly thereafter. But um, uh, you know, right now it's it's not looking like there's going to be a lot of uh, dispensaries in Chicago open come January one. But not yeah. rec those are recreational ones though. You talking about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, in in Washington, uh, you know, we had the medical, and then they said, okay, uh, recreational is going to happen on this date, and that's when stores. Mm -hmm were exposed to the open up and they did of course uh i don't know the exact date but um and i imagine you guys are still trying to create that infrastructure too 
uh, as far as uh, where the guy picks up his seed or where they pick up the farms uh, and, and then the storefronts and whatnot, you know, establishing that structure. But uh, that's pretty wild, dude. Hey, you know how you can fix uh, the social equity issue, Tom? No. Homegrown. I think oh, Achilles. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Illinois did a real good job of fixing the social equity. And that was just the most recent piece that I did for the cannabis law and regulation reporter where I kind of like went around them. And so like Maryland ha does a pretty good job too. They'll, they'll give like 15%, but then they have a, a big glaring loophole in Maryland's where it says, and if you couldn't do it, just give your good faith answer as to why. And it, and it may not count. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. But uh, Maryland had, yeah, I mean, talk about loopholes, but it wasn't as bad as Ohio's. Ohio's was really racist and just like totally optional. And you're reading it and you're just like, man, do these people not even care. But uh, Illinois, because they, they get, well, the 20% of the points and then the competition level. So in Maryland, they had 200 applications for four licenses. Oh my God. Yeah, and that's where they had a social equity component of 15% for similar to what we're doing in Illinois with the ownership and control. And it's, it's interesting, the corporate formation documentation. So I have a lot of clients that I'm, I'm helping them with that because that's a very you know, high level complex issue and mm -hmm. you need to have it done right because it becomes contingent on your license when you're approved, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, waiting and I'm like, sitting there and I have the, the stuff ready and I'm like, okay, I'm going to change these. And then you don't get the answers back to the questions you've asked. So you're like, I'm going back on break, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so is this like a limbo area for you guys still as the lawyers trying to help your clients or whoever uh, you're associating with? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lack of clarity on uh, some key issues and important issues on how you can structure your business and, uh, especially, you know, as it relates to, I think, management services agreements, stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty common in the industry generally. But how does that relate to the 51% ownership and control uh, requirement? Yeah. I'm doing uh, with social equity applicants. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts, Tom, on that. Uh, What's that? Uh, management services agreements and, uh, and oh. social equity applicants. I think management service agreements make some interesting uh, idea. Okay. How much operational experience do you have? Does your team really have? And so who's going to be operating that that cannabis facility on day mm -hmm. one so that it runs smoothly? Like if there's some type of partnership or it's a service agreement, what's the time duration of the service agreement? What does it specify and call for? And so if it's one of these things where it's training, because if you look at the ownership and control uh, element of it, it talks about management of the day to day activities. And so if you're doing management of the day-to-day -day activities, you should be the owner who's probably the agent in charge then. Uh, however, you've never been trained as this job and you, you don't have anybody who's got like management experience in that job. So having a partnership with somebody who operates uh, dispensaries in other states or even in the state of Illinois, if there's 10 uh, dispensaries in Chicago uh, or, or 11, that's, that there's operational knowledge out there. Uh, those people could easily form consulting companies and have contracts to help teach the next 49 or whatever, you know, and then if that's what it's a partnership of and it lasts like for a duration of 12 months or something, as opposed to, you know, your Verizon bill, which you just never get rid of. It's just always there. Mm -hmm. But if to the extent that they're used to as a vehicle to suck out all the profits of the company and leave the equity owners with zip zero. No. Right. Yeah. That's not, no go. 
you know, Keely, uh, uh, one of the reasons why I bring up homegrown because one of the barriers I see in this whole situation, and I brought it up last week with Danielle, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, of course, she zoned out the, the, the blip or whatever, but uh, the glitch yeah, that we yeah. had. Uh, you know, uh, I had an email from a, a black gentleman from uh, Oregon who's trying to get, you know, in uh, the industry as far as he wants to have his own garden. You know, he just and that's why I say home grow. What I witnessed out here in Washington was uh, people uh, uh, who just were gardeners, you know, not uh, savvy business people, not um, uh, very. I mean, they're industrious in the point of just growing. And then they would go to the store and sell their weed. Uh, that's how it worked here. Um, I could grow my 13 plants as a patient and then I'm like, oh, this is too much for me. I'll go to the dispensary down the street, see if they'd like it. And then they would buy it for me. And, and I oh. mean, these cats built revenue. They built that capital that, you know, to get into this re- uh, business, you know, Tom and I talked about, you need hundreds of thousands. You know, it's not it's, like it's a legit business. I mean, yeah. that's expenses, man. So what do you recommend for uh, people to get that capital for minorities? Where can we tap into where? Because this is still federally illegal. This is still a thing. You know, where can I get help? Yeah. I mean, so it depends on the market. You know, it's going to be different in Washington. It's going to be different in states where, uh, you know, licenses are more easily accessible because, you know, that creates, you know, more competition. So it's harder to, you know, run and sustain your business. But, you know, in states like Illinois, uh, well, there's, you know, limited licenses. I think that main hurdle is getting that initial license for social equity applicants and getting the pursuit capital. So I think for a social equity applicant, once they get that license, you know, they'll be able to raise, they'll be, oh, yeah. they can be picky about who they want to raise. No, the license, the license is the asset. Nice. So yeah. one of the things that I'm trying to, you know, explain to my uh, social equity applicant clients is trying to figure out how they can fund putting together mm-hmm. a high quality application, which can cost over six figures. And then you're like, okay, well, that's just the application putting it together and everything's nice and and ready to go. It gets more expensive when you win, you know, and so they have to know that. And and so, you know, if there's a way that through, you know, now when you have to do offering memorandums or something where you're trying to actually shop uh, these these investments uh, for that, because they got 49 percent to 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 give, you know, that's that's marketable. That's a marketable thing. As you're saying, though, it takes us six figures to get just the application. I mean, now now you're yeah. talking about speculation. Like, hey, I really love weed. There, guy with a billion dollars. Will you give me two hundred thousand so I can just apply for this? You know, how, how are we going to get past that barrier? Just just to fill out the application. As, as, I mean, as, uh, you know, there are a lot of organizations uh, and funds out there that are looking to partner with social equity applicants and you know minority operators and provide funds and sometimes even you know pre-licensed services and all that. Um, so I think the best way for them to find those people is the one do like do your homework already, come up with a business plan, like sort of put the basic pieces and framework of your business together, and then I think go to a lot of these uh, networking events and you know when there's speakers and panels. That, that right there, Keely. I mean, this is something that I mean, I'm I'm a Southern California raised Mexican that, you know, my uh, my mom was a teenage mom. I, I wasn't taught like uh, infrastructure or a, a good business sense. You know, my grandfather was a brilliant dude that uh, he did a lot of things that were Trump like, but uh, uh, he made a lot of money doing his thing. Yeah. Uh yeah. You know, you're talking about the business plan. You know, this, we have a lack of business sense in the minority community. You know, I, I, but it's not just uh, minority community. I don't think. I think it's just like shitty neighborhood situational type thing. Because we're in this area of America. You know, we uh, like with uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street. You know, it's proven mm-hmm. we're not more special or less special or less intelligent. We're all in the same field now. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, how do we? 
learn that business sense and how do I build that? Uh, you know, where's my check marks for my list of things to do? Like one business plan, what kind of business plan? I was at a uh, an investor meeting. <laughs> yeah, well, I here, here's the thing. I was at an investor meeting and I asked this guy, I was like, what do you guys look for? How can I get your money? It's pretty much what I'm asking, you know? And he's like, well, what we look for, I'd like to see an exit plan. I have no exit plan. I'm just trying yeah, to you need an exit plan. Like all my social equity presidents have an exit right. plan. You know, like, would you like to be in three years. How about this? You know? Yeah. I don't I don't have that shit. I don't think about that because I'm just trying to establish a thing to do. I know, but that's that's why I'm not paying you. And, and that's the problem. <laughs> You know, that's part of the problem with, you know, trying to get that traditional sort of venture capital and all that stuff is that, you know, they're looking for when can I get a return on my investment? And, you know, the social equity applicant or people, you know, that are really integrated in their communities, they're probably thinking, I want to run this dispensary long. I'm not looking to sell my dispensary just to, so you can, you know, you know, recoup your investment. You know, they want that to be there long term and they want it to be, yeah. you know minority owned or owned by people from that community um, something i want to give my kids put that together but that's not necessarily reflective of the um tumultuous nature of the cannabis industry if it turns uh, out it is something where there's a lot of m a and there's a lot of people that'll go broke um mm -hmm. i don't know man just because if you are going to be shopping it for money though uh, and especially if you're going to have to take on investors to capitalize the business you know, mm -hmm. there you're going to have to speak their language. You're going to have to oh, talk about yeah. strategies and, yeah. and, and where you're going to get out. But like, how are you uh, framing your social equity corporate structures? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the entities that I'd be involved with, I mean, I want them to be, uh, you know, I want our minority ownership to be as high as possible and our social equity applicant, uh, you know, ownership to be as high as possible, right. you know, considering the fact that we still need to raise funds nine times out of 10 from folks that don't qualify as social equity applicants. So I think, you know, the key for us and our applications is bringing the team. So, you know, whether it's social equity applicants with industry experience, because, you know, we have some of those and, you know, social equity applicants with business experience, um, but then also, you know, persons on the team that are, whether they qualify as social equity applicants or not, that are just really integrated in the community, been doing work in the community, you know, our business savvy and all that. So what yeah. um, our is approach. Okay. Oh, and then I was going to say, I sort of missed your question about the structure. You know, uh, yeah. you know, I want to give away the secret sauce, but you know, not that there is a secret. secret sauce very long. I mean, like, you know, it's one of the things that when you're in the operational uh, aspects of the cannabis industry or it's a business and you see like how things are getting run, you're like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. You know, uh, you find out what works and you do it. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the hallmarks of like business. I mean, if you are a great operator, you're going to do things a specific way. I mean, there's a lot of, I always kind of find it ironic that the standard operating procedures are uh, confidential information. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, shouldn't they be standardized? Well, you right, know, right. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yeah. 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 Because that means uh, a good way to do business, no matter what. There's always a good practice. Um, best practices, yeah. Standard operating. Yeah. Procedure. Well, and and that's what I think cannabis has given a lot of people is a sense of business. Like, all right, I can grow this plant. It uh, cost me six hundred dollars to grow it to this nice flowery state. If I sell it for a thousand, I make a profit. And then, do you take that four hundred dollars and reinvest it in yourself, or do you go into a casino? I mean, that's. You know, right, it's the, the second step. Money of management that. is important. Yeah, right. for sure, for sure. I mean, 
so Keely, with uh, uh, THC staffing, is this something that you're doing as well when you're uh, integrating with or interfacing with uh, applicants? So you're trying to, are you trying to help them uh, maybe with licenses or, or you know get deeper into the industry? Yeah. So when I'm working with uh, you know potential licensees, that's uh, you know usually separate. That's just in my practice, you know, as a mm. you know. Right. solo practitioner but right. uh with staffing you know we'll, we'll we'll work with applicants on you know their staffing plans and you know know a lot of people in the industry so we know a lot of good candidates um and some are social equity applicants with industry experience who are looking uh to partner with potential uh businesses that are pursuing licenses so yeah we can help them you know structure their you know their business and their applications so that you know it's uh, consistent with the goals of the social equity uh plan program it's like a lawyer you're wearing like three hats right i mean you're you're working at the group uh then you have your own practice and then you're part of a, a minority what was it what was the lawyer um aspect of that oh so yeah so uh once this sort of uh application season is over then i'll be starting a new job with uh, chicago lawyers committee of civil rights so i'll be doing Jeez. uh equitable development uh work with them to develop you know small businesses and cooperatives and their capacity and doing some policy advocacy to sort of promote the same thing in Chicago. So. That's awesome. Like one of the things that I like about the cannabis industry is the weed sells itself. And so it oh, does yeah. give the people an opportunity to start learning from business in a legitimate way and then teaching mm -hmm. that to other people. And so mm -hmm. the, some like the dispensaries, I didn't, I don't remember them having the specific obligation to have something that uh, addresses the economic development in disproportionately impacted areas. Like I did specifically for the craft grows and for the infuser licenses. But if you look at the overall, ten overall tenets of the law, then you kind of understand what your company's culture should be. And yeah. uh, that's that's a very interesting policy uh, impression into the industry. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Illinois' variety of the cannabis game is a little bit different than it is on the West Coast. You know, it's a, yeah. a more woke version of cannabis because they've literally injected the new capitalism social justice into the statute. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of there's some things that, you know, I would change about the bill. But, you know, I think it does deserve the title as the most, you know, uh, you know, equity focused bill in the country. Maybe in part of that. Is because, you know, and I would say it's efficacious uh, social equity that they've put into it. It's sometimes it's window dressing. This one, you can't thread that needle and get that license unless you come from the position of the social equity. Uh, and then for repairing, because like it was a pretty glaring omission. And, mm -hmm. you know, before we went live, you were actually talking about uh, Bernie Sanders's uh, cannabis plan. Yeah, that's right. So that's like, right. I mean, does it does it go to the same type of extent that uh, uh, Illinois does to empower ownership in those people that have been the most harmed by the law? Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, this is the first time that I've seen uh, a bill proposed at the federal level. I mean, it's not a bill, but, you know, sort of framework for federal legalization that touches on social equity to the degree that this does, you know. And so I know there's the Marijuana Justice Act, which I, you know, fully supported. Right. Um, and, you know, there's other been other legalization uh, bills and uh, sort of frameworks proposed, but this one touches on, you know, reparative justice. So there's something, you know, there's setting aside a certain amount of funds to reinvest in communities harmed by the war on drugs it includes expungements um, but it also includes um business develop a business development fund um at the federal right. level help develop you know uh, minority businesses and businesses uh, owned by people harmed by the war on drugs um, and i think it sets aside a, a large amount 
significant amount of money uh, to promote that. Um, that's not something that I'd seen before. Well, think about what IRC 280E is bringing in. And let me let me share my screen right here. Uh, look at that. That's a big effing number right there. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of tax revenue and it's a lot of jobs. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you do that, I mean, if IRC 280E is sitting on top of the retail aspect of the industry and making it basically double taxed, uh, man, the IRS is just fine with this legal, illegal marijuana. And I mean, it's, it's like free money to the government, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like how yeah. you refer to it as woke uh, legalization. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's most legal. <laughs> he's not lying man i mean like literally like, read the read the flipping laws all over like la's it's just bizarre and then like what they did in okay massachusetts has a nice one but then they they make you only access the benefit of the social equity after you've gotten the license so you never get the the license and so that's like yeah. the throughput of Mich massachusetts that's the other darn thing, because you're looking at all these laws in a comparative landscape to see which ones are working the best. And, you know, you, you kind of mix up some states sometimes. Does Illinois, because I mean, you guys are doing so well, at least with the, the, the creation of the law. And, uh, you know, and I think people underestimate because, I mean, you guys are kind of a flyover state. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, oh, so. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, you got Chicago, but that's, I mean, there's nothing I don't think about. Let's go to Peoria. You know, like, hey, like hey, Wayne's World. Nobody I mean, ever says, let's go to Peoria. That's I've never been there. Yeah. But my, 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 uh, my, my thinking here is, um, son of a bitch, I almost zoned out there. Um, because, I mean, this is the thing. So does Illinois have, like in Washington, we have people serving sentences, you know, federally, uh, residents, uh, land scores one. And then also recently in uh, what Normal put up that stat where, uh, you know, we're still increasing our arrest. Uh, mm. what, in Illinois, are there people serving time from the state? Do you guys are you aware of any of that? I mean, that's something I think would be a hustle. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, I mean, there are people serving time for cannabis offenses in Illinois. Um, wow. And, you know, we, you know, I don't know, you know, the brain of people. But I, bet, I, I don't know the stats. You could find out, I guess. But um, I mean, wouldn't addressing the social equity in your own state be like, all right, here's automatically 100 points or whatever. Just being in jail. Boom. You're 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 the guy. Uh, you know? No, they actually bifurcated the levels of that. So provided, I don't know how much you can maximally get punished for like in possession of a pound. Uh, was, I've never been a criminal attorney. Uh, Akili, have you, have you ever, have you only been commercial? Yeah, I've only been, you know, yep. commercial, M&A, all that stuff. So. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I would like nerd out about that, but that's yeah. a different world. And so it's like, you know, radiology versus, um, I don't know, orthodontists. I mean, yeah. they both have degrees. Sure. They know a lot, but it's totally different. Yeah. But like, yeah, right. I, what are your guys' criteria though? What's the, uh, like, if you're, uh, were filled in, or found in, um, violation of law for X amount of weed, it just seems silly to me. Why, why have a plant amount for being in trouble with the fucking plant? Like, why is this even a stipulation? <laughs> I agree. I would expunge or, you know, seal all cannabis convictions, you know, and, and you right. know, people that are in jail for cannabis or 
typically still are in prison for cannabis or probably in prison for, you know, additional charges as well. You yeah, know? I mean, like if you get caught with a gun, isn't that one of those things? And so like, of course you're moving weight, you're moving weight. in I, know, yeah. I mean, like, duh, I got to protect myself here. Yeah. Safe access is another argument for fucking legalization. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, like I have no problem with the concept that this stuff was untaxed. Like, you know, right. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be dealing in untaxed booze or cigarettes or anything like that, but make them pay a fine. Don't, don't make us pay for them and ruin their lives at the same time. You know? Right. If well, there's no violent crime associated with it, then I don't see a purpose or benefit in continuing to incarcerate people, especially beyond a certain amount of time. It's not rehabilitating anybody. It's not making society safer. I don't think any prison rehabilitates. I mean, it looks like from my review of how the prisons are structured and organized and operating, that looks like a goddamn powder keg waiting to go off. What are you doing with these people? Well, we talked to Weldon last week and, uh, you know, the prison guards, you know, I try and look at life as like uh, everybody's just that's some dude doing their job that day. It's like my my bus driver. You know, I get on the bus. I try to be nice because like he's he's just doing his job. Like I appreciate you for just showing up. You know, like I work in tech, and so I worked on the bad side of tech where I've had to uh, um, the checks and balances aren't there. It's kind of like you see how the meat's made. You're like, oh, this is fucked up. I really don't ever want to go to the hospital again or anything like that you know. I just don't trust anything because things that. You, you feel are supposed to be in the checks and balances aren't really checks and balances because checks and balances are just fucking paperwork. And mm-hmm. if you have someone good at paperwork, uh, ah, so checks and balances. Hey, nice. I like that. Hey, I hit the wrong button. That's oh, what shit. happens when I uh, am producing my own show on the fly. <laughs> Sometimes they're a good thing, especially live on YouTube. And, you know, especially with you guys with, with as lawyers, I mean, you guys picked a good field to, uh, um, it's kind of, uh, Lawyers are what makes the world go around, at least, or keeps us civil. You know, they literally wrote the Constitution. <laughs> well, wasn't one of them like a? Uh, what were their jobs beforehand? You know, that's the thing. Like, who makes a king a king? You just wake up one day, and go, I'm king of you because I can. Right. I, I'm bigger. <laughs> you know, there's no real set criteria about like what we are. Well, you just got. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let no, it. no. I'm just yammering, dude. <laughs> I talk too much. Yeah. Well, you are a lawyer. Processes involved in you know coming up with the constitution and choosing who would be the leader and all that you know. Um, and we'll talk um, at the point of like orthodontist versus pediatrician. I mean, you guys are in your own lane doing like Keely. Uh, Tom's background is contracts and banking. What what's like your lawyer background? Yeah, so my legal background. I mean, I went to law school like you know most people to do public interests. You know, I was going to be a criminal attorney or human rights, public you know civil rights attorney. Um, I did that my first summer. I uh, worked for lawyers for human rights in South Africa. Did criminal law. That was the last time that I did any criminal law. Wow, South uh, Africa. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty dope. Like, so, like, I mean, obviously, law is like murder's bad everywhere. Murder's bad everywhere. What's the there's yeah. there's different distinction in like types of law, and so in America we have what they call a common law, and in other places they have the civil law, and the, mm-hmm. it's a very nuanced distinction. But what do they have in South Africa? Is it common or civil law? And so South African law is kind of based on the British system. So there's a lot of similarities between the American yeah. and you know. Oh yeah, yeah. There were also you know. I was in Hong Kong. Uh, fuck, dude, like 15 years ago when I was in Navy. And I met a magistrate. She called herself a magistrate and told me that they wore the wigs when they go. To, this is right in a turnover when they uh, yeah. did the. And I was just kind of like mind blown, picturing a bunch of Chinese people wearing the wigs. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the wake thing's just silly, anyways. I mean, when, when the, the white people do it, it's still silly, but still, I was like, what? Uh, yeah, I should carry it over. They should stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't understand the wigs. What is up with those? Why? And like, I'm glad we don't adopt that. We still have the black robe. That I kind of get. It represents yeah. impartiality. It's right. uh, it, to me. I think it does. Well, wasn't there like a talcum powder, like kind of like a hallucinogenic in there? Like the, maybe it was the lead. Like, hey, I mean, if you're gonna fucking argue about shit, you might as well be a little on. You know, I don't know. explain some of the decisions they made. In the old English language, that would explain yeah. that. So you, uh, since you were in South Africa, and uh, that was the last time you did criminal. Uh, so you, in in the states, wide, you're more into like the policy. Then is that what you've been doing? Uh, so, so yeah, so I came back from that, and then uh, you know, sort of, you know, changed my focus to uh, commercial transactional law. Got interested oh. in healthcare. Um, got the started. Contracts the size of a phone book. Yeah, and that was the next thing I didn't know was coming. But, you know, sort of joined the firm. Um, I was going to be in the healthcare group, ended up in the corporate group. And then the next thing I know, I'm a corporate, you know, transactional attorney and all that. Did M&A, securities, public, you know, public company work, all that stuff. Um, and then got the opportunity to join the cannabis industry. I've been a fan of the plant, of course, for a while. Um, that was my question for you. Yeah, uh, you're, you're a consumer then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm patient and a consumer. That's right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, but uh, that's really <laughs> awesome that you're able to fall out into uh, an area of the law where um, the cannabis industry is exceeding. It's like it's 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 M and A and corporate structuring, but on steroids. Well, it's kind of like healthcare. Just the the amount of the federal regulation. Well, not the federal. They're the state regulations that you're under, and then the demand for the licenses is just you know if you're if you're in those areas of law, it's fascinating. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's well, fascinating. Anything cannabis. Uh, now, if you're a fan of the plant, I think you should be a fan of the law. Um, as I've gotten older and I've been doing this more and more, I see them being more surrounded by lawyers. And it, it kills me. Here in Seattle, we have Cultiva Law. who's a, uh, They have a uh, space on the 39th floor in Seattle. It's the highest balcony in downtown. It's a pretty cool spot to smoke a joint over a balcony of everybody and think, God damn, these guys make a shit ton of money to fucking have this spot and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, the legality of it all, um, you know, here in Washington, one of the things that killed us uh, as we were going from uh, medical to uh, recreational, uh, the recreational cats were very against the non-taxing that happened in the medical side of things. They were like, well, why do I have to pay tax when these guys are getting away with it. <clears throat> so what they did is they created this fucked up group, uh, like this patient's care group. And uh, they mm -hmm. passed this law called the Compassion Act, SB 5052, which killed a lot of the loopholes that people were surviving under the medical side for or with. Um, that just killed medical outright out here. Um, I just think people realize that there is a huge recreational dollar being pushed uh, to uh, know where everything's at and it's kind of bullshit because like tom was saying earlier the plant sells itself you know mm -hmm. and and as, as i say about free home grows and i think uh i had to witness i had the the the, the luxury and pleasure of witnessing a real uh capital uh listic market you know a uh, 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 free capital where people just planted a seed made a little money and then started evolving into this like we had That's farmers markets here yeah. it was fucking insane farmers markets you walk mm -hmm. in, there's jars of weed, tens of pounds, because it takes a lot of weed to make concentrates awesome. and real medicine. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's not, people are in this oppression. Like when Tommy Chung got raided, 
they found a pound of uh, weed in like a drawer or some shit, and they're like, "Well, what's that, this for?" That 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 offense would be uh, expungable. A pound of weed is fine to be caught with before <laughs> June twenty fifth, which is just ridiculous. I mean, because a pound is still over the limit, right? Yeah. Now they're going to have this new law where it's like, "It's my ounce, I'm good." Yeah, uh, you have a pound though. Is it going to be the same flipping crime still? And then you could just expunge it, or or what? You know, how are they going to enforce that that thing? That's and even be- why is that worth prosecuting? You know, I, uh, or chasing or ruining someone's day or life over? Uh, two weeks ago, I, I was at a trial. Um, I popped in here in Washington. We were still prosecuting people from shit from 2016 out here. Um, there was an Asian American yeah. gentleman out here. Uh, he uh, was pursued by the city of Kent, who's not very cannabis friendly. They've never been cannabis friendly out here. Uh, and uh, they, he was picking up rent at a renter's house uh, that his dad owned. Uh, and while he was there, that when the raid happened, because they had plants there, um, and he was already implicated that those were his plants. And so now, three years later, he had to plea, make a plea agreement. Now he's got to do uh, community service and pay a couple fines, a couple thousand dollars in fines, which would break me. I'd be like, oh, fuck, I owe $2,000. But luckily, he's a good businessman. He's doing his own thing. Um, but the fact that he didn't get uh, you know, charged and this whole thing was happened for three years, it's ridiculous in a legal state. You know, all, all, you know, just like the still arrests out there in Illinois, the, the woke state. Yeah, but they <laughs> can't know? prove it. Uh, that was because I, I I'm not a criminal lawyer, but one of the lawyers in our office is. He's a very good one. His name's Jeff Hall, and mm-hmm. so he was talking about how now, and I, I wrote about it in the spring, how because of way they, the way they've created the farm bill, and then all the states adopted the farm bill's definition of industrial hemp with its 0.3 percent delta nine THC level. And if you're growing flour under the perfect conditions, a lot of medical grade cannabis, particularly from the Verano brand, will be coming in at industrial hemp levels. So the THCA might be 30%, but the Delta 9 level is less than the 0.3%. So technically perfect by definition, it satisfies the term of art that is industrial hemp under federal law. Keep it away from fire, you know? (laughs) This seems a lot of wasted tax dollars and time. That's all in my, you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, that goes off into the, you know, the larger conversation about, you know, what should be criminalized and what shouldn't be criminalized and drug legalization in general. I mean, I'm certainly of the opinion that people shouldn't be incarcerated for possessing a pound of weed or really any amount necessarily. But, you know, yeah. I understand. You know, law enforcement has concerns about, you know, people dealing in illicit market because it's, sometimes it does involve, you know, violence to enforce contracts and all that kind of stuff. But I think the right solutions are not incarceration, you know. Oh, for sure. I oh, mean, yeah. people are jumping onto this whole <clears throat> and I've always stand by the cannabis legalization, always will. And I actually support all legalization, but I don't champion that because let's just get one fucking thing at a time. And this is what's really hard. And then once the country's on the same page and realizes, ah, oh, shit, the zombie apocalypse, we have to treat addiction. We have to, uh, oh, you know, rehab. I thought it was a crime. Oh, our yeah. policy's been stupid. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, there's no point for the DEA. We have people protecting their jobs. It's what they're doing. They're not mm-hmm. trying. They don't care about us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'm going to let you talk. Uh, last, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in a lot of ways, it has become a source of revenue for, you know, local, state and federal government, to, you know, fundraising projects and stuff. And 
to a large degree, you know, the war on drugs has just been extracting wealth and, you know, funding other projects and government. And that, that's not right. So, no, it isn't. And I don't like how they're using that same type. We talked about our woke system here in Illinois and the DEA and the drug prohibition and criminalization in general represents a characterization. No. Uh, yeah. Caricature. So like, you know, a grotesque disformation on that same concept, because why are they why does the DEA and all these drug logs exist? to keep you from being bad. So like, mm. you know, you're going to be a good thing as opposed to somebody who's evil. What you're doing is wrongful. I mean, then that's why it became a crime. And then just railroaded this concept of addiction or that you're, 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 you're allowing cigarettes and alcohol, but you're not allowing this. Why mm. are you killing your people when you could be directing them to this thing that they could use, which is less harmful to them? It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I mean, and with cannabis in particular, we know the history from the 30s to the war on drugs ramping up in the 60s that it was all about misinformation. You know, the entire, you know, entire program was created with political goals in mind. That, you know, the Nixon administration had demonizing, you know, the anti-war left and African-Americans, civil rights and all that. So it was never really about the plan, dangerous to society. It was always about politics and money. That's right. Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, no one ever looked at the CSA and go, really? Heroin and weed? Yeah, yeah. right. Same thing, yeah. right? Well, like, it was, again, they spelled marijuana with an H back in 1970. So I guess like 1970 America didn't speak Spanish. Right, right, right. Spelled with an H. But, you know, yeah. I think it was a different world back then, too. I mean, the border issue back then, there was none. I mean, I, there's low and hardy. So being a Southern California boy, uh, half the shit we see is all like propaganda anyways, right? From some fear-mongering police state person that wants you to be afraid of the brown next brown guy or whatever you know like there's always got to be a reason that you're scared of something and uh, uh i remember as a kid dude before the border shit uh as far as it was an open border you know the you're going through but what they're what they're stopping was like people bringing in 200 bottles of tequila to try and make a you know they're, they're protecting the tariffs they were pretty yeah they're they're not protecting you from the from the from the, the 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 family that's trying to get across to 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 mow your lawn and fucking uh clean your house no they're protecting tariffs. And that was the whole purpose of the borders when I was a kid. Like that was not this whole uh, citizenship that uh, uh, America first type crap. You know, I, the whole premise of it, America was like the, the guiding light, the shining fucking, you know, a place where we can all be free. And mm -hmm. we're not free when these assholes with fucking money and uh, 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 propaganda are steering this conversation of fear, you know, uh, and then that's what this plant has had for what a hundred years. It's just fear propaganda against it. I have one right here. She's yes. dying. I, I brought my plant inside from outside. I'm just getting a cold snap. And uh, <laughs> these plants are not friendly to like change, man. Do you grow, Keely? Have you tried? No, I have not tried. Uh, I, I'm afraid to try. I probably would ruin it. And it would be terrible. Are you looking forward to it? Because, hey, you said you're a medical patient. You have a place that you live. Are you going to try to grow some some plants? You know, when I uh, when I find out and buy a place, uh, then that's something I'm going to look into right now. And, you know, it's another issue. You know, it'll be yeah, legal hey. to grow. There's some very cheap houses in Peoria, Illinois, in uh, disproportionately impacted areas, and they have basements. That's oh, it. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. my one regret is not growing when it was uh, medical here because I could be a part of these, this game that these guys are doing now. Um, like I said, you grow your shit. It was too much for your own consumption, so you just took it down the street, and I made a couple thousand bucks, and 
start that process over again. And and that's how it was. And that's my issue with home grow because it gives not just the consumer, but the person a chance to to be a fucking successful business person. You know, that that's what we're talking about. A chance there's for everybody. There's taxation, <laughs> supply concerns. How does the federal or I'm sorry, how does the state government wet its beak? You know, you're you're just cutting them out. It's that libertarian aspect of Washington State that we just do not get in Illinois. But they'll wet their beak when I finally get my two hundred thousand dollars to be a player into the recreational market. Because that's gonna that's gonna be the thing. That's your transition. You don't wanna have that nickel and dime selling all the time. You wanna save up a lot of that cash, whatever you want to call it, slush fund, and then invest into this recreational real business market because now no one's going to fuck with my money because it's all legal, right? I mean, all these, uh, that's why I don't fear about big marijuana because if big marijuana takes over this whole conversation, these assholes with money don't want to go to jail and they'll fix the rules so nobody goes to jail for the plant because their business inherently is going to be illegal for a home grow. You know, everything they do is going to be illegal. and that's why I think, you know, people are still fearing the home grow, but I think it's a big issue. I think it's an essential part of this whole legalization process that, you know, we're further than we ever been or have been. But until that happens, only people with money can be uh, players in this, in this game, you know. And hopefully the Illinois, you know, social program will start to address that. You know, um, you know, one of the downsides is that, you know, it does get give existing operators a head start, but the up you know, the flip side to that is it, you know, provides a source of funding for social equity applicants, which is, you know, they're missing in most programs. So and then um, the state banking act, if you could bank your cannabis business, that would also uh, open that would that would make capitalization requirements come down substantially and open way more doors doors for the social equity applicants. Because I mean imagine if you had in oh man, I, I don't see any well, it's an asset in and of itself. And so if it was legal to bank, if you're awarded that asset, the bank would be like, you have what? Great. You know, what's, the, what's that? So with that, the, the money provided from this, your guys' bill, how much was that? It was like 800000 I think there's like a $30 million fund. Oh, it's a $30 million fund? So yeah. as a my, my, uh, equity applicant, I mean, how do I tap into this? And Because and I mean, just to be me, I want 200000 please, so I don't have to get many investors i want to try and just do this on my own so how, how do i get into that well one you got to get the license so there's no like pre-licensed pursuit capital which is you know one of the downsides but you know once you, once you do get the license you're going to cry but it's not clear how much you're going to be able to get there's going to be a lot of demand uh, for that money and so we don't know how that's going to get broken up uh, you also yeah. be able to apply grants um so you probably huge. like but then think about it like because you can't get it until you get it so you got to get the license to get the money and you can't get the license without the money. You're stuck in a catch 22 because in the uh, license app, you still have to show that you're going to be adequately capitalized to open your doors. And you can say that you're going to be asking for money, but you know. So like the recommendation would be like, if you're trying to be an equity applicant first, you need to get the money for the license application. Like that's your first boundary. That's your barrier. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. fuck. And well, yeah, and that's the thing, and, you know, and Tom talked a bit on this just now, um, you know, you want to have money pre-licensed and then you want to show in your application that you actually have access to money post-license too. Um, and I don't think that the strongest application is going to be the one that says, you know, well, we're going to apply for loans from the state because maybe that's only $30,000 or something. That's not enough to, to stand up your business. So. Oh yeah. And not a guarantee. No, and not at all guaranteed. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's difficult, but I mean, uh, 
in theory, this is going to open up the cannabis industry to new players like that we've never seen. And Siri thinks I'm talking to her, but also uh, it's, it's, it's not that they've created these limitations. So like, okay, Siri, that's good. Uh, and I evidently, if they already had five, so is that the early ones? Could they, because if they have five medical licenses, they could then get two. So are they going to be maxed out at their 10 dispensaries? Because from the way that I read the law, nobody can have more than 10 dispensaries in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was my understanding. You can't have ownership of more than 10. So, I mean, I think a, a lot of the current players end up being maxed out. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that will change in the future. Um, Let's hope but, not, because I like that. It's diversity of the, yeah. the industry, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would bring it down. I would bring it down to probably five or less or something. You know. Well, how much business can you do with five dispensaries? Fifteen million a year? More? Plenty, yeah. plenty of plenty of business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're gonna be okay. <laughs> well, like I'm here watching. We have the have a heart. Have a heart. Uh, you know, it's funny how they've been working on this license angle, uh, and it kind of they go after people who are not. I don't know. I don't know if the what the bias is for who they chase because we have this one have a heart that has three shops here in Washington and they have one in uh, uh, San Francisco. And, and then we had another cat who, what they try to do was, this is a beautiful store. You walked in, it was a store. And then you, the next door was a grow. And then the next door was a processor where you could like walk in through like a hallway and see all the other stuff, like kind of like how it was happening, the, how you got your plant or your flower. Uh, but they had, to work on their loopholes of like two licenses, three licenses, and then uh, uh, because the walls it had a door that closed, they were considered separate areas. I mean, it just seems like some BS that we're dealing with still here in Washington State. Can imagine in Illinois, you guys, you know, with the ownership, that's going to be huge. A lot of players are going to be your medical side, I think, still too. That's that's what we've seen here. There's a lot of the medical people uh, who will reestablish that capital. Are going to be the ones in the recreational creating your guys's uh yeah. infrastructure and culture because that's kind of another thing is uh, a lot of these big money players don't understand the culture like the, they don't give a fuck what, who went to jail or who got arrested or who died you yeah know? that's one of the reasons why i'm really i don't necessarily negate the stoner image uh of cheech and chong and all that and think like hey mm -hmm. we're trying to come up to something like that i'm like man fuck that those guys were taking all the risks and you're getting all the benefit. And now you're trying to sweep them under the table. Like they didn't happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I care about the culture of cannabis, you know, and so I want to preserve that. I don't want that to get lost in, you know, the expansion of the industry and things becoming, you know, more consolidated and industrialized and all that. I like the, uh, you know, like I like craft beers, you know, like I don't, Go to the bar. I'm like, where are the Bud Lights? You know, no, no diss to Bud Light, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So you Bud Light on tap, you know. That's not what I'm saying, you know. I like craft beers. I'm yeah. like, I like no craft cannabis, you know. I want, you know, more attention and detail and, you know, uh, to the plant and to my product, so. Well, as I say, I don't think you can ever, like, even though winners write the history, they'll never be able to brush out the the culture that exists already because you know it was long ago that you know it wasn't too long ago rather where i was you know tom was right under home rogue and i was uh uh you know you'd have conversations about hey do you like pizza you know pizza with extra green uh sure. get like an eighth of pizza with extra green you know there's a way that you had to live right now i'm a grown man i don't gotta do that shit and i could be like hey 
I'm going to the store, go get some weed. You know, like it's just like a beer. But the craft bro, like you're saying, like I like good IPAs. Like I'm, I'm, I'll be a stereotype Same. fucking Northwest that. guy. Yeah, I like a good, <laughs> good high ABV. My wife likes lagers. So I'm like, eh. but uh, uh, you know, again, because uh, like the the culture that we have, understanding what you like, you understand mm-hmm. what you like because. Uh, a bunch of us had to do something beforehand, shake hands, you know, a deal, a handshake and a deal to get to where we're at, to understand the plant better. And that's why I always emphasize homegrown as well, because not only will it give me a chance to make money, but it gives you a chance to understand, like, growing is fucking hard. You know, you yeah. You, you, yeah. you plant the seed, you take, you know, there's a, a A to B, nutrients, uh, flushing, uh, all kinds of things, curing, uh, mm-hmm. trimming. Trimming is a fucking art. <laughs> you know, my shit last year looked like it was like uh, 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 Mexican brickweed, but uh, uh, that's because I learned trimming techniques. It looks good in the beginning. Dry some more. You're like, ah, shit, that's horrible. And then you can refine it and whatnot. There's a lot of things to do with this plant. Uh, and with homegrow, you give everybody a chance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I support homegrow. I support the expansion of homegrow. Um, I think anybody should be able to grow on their own. Uh, those from the mountain, maybe, you know. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna interject some, uh, some audience participation because they're, it's like you know they, they wanted some audience participation from Airman Seven, and I figure we could get to one question and then uh, discuss it and maybe wrap yeah. up because we've been going on for about an hour. So Brandon Yeager, mm-hmm. what happened to the Federal Banking Act? I'm not sure what bill that is. Uh, have you heard of a Federal Banking Act, Akili? Uh, maybe means the. State State Act. Act. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and I yeah. think it's just a concern about policy. Like, right, uh, right now, our home grow, we are in a, um, uh, I don't know what it, what's the fucking, you guys know the words for like when they stop doing legislation one period and they're going to start up again in January. Recess. Is it, is it a recess? Yeah. All right. So I, I just always assimilate that with court. You know, like, ah, shit, they're going to recess. Like, now go smoke a cigarette or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, so we're in recess, and again, when you learn about policy, you learn how, how fucking hard it is, and, and you get frustrated. Like, why is it easier to put people in jail than it is to get them out? Um, because mm-hmm. you know, Tom's been educating me as well with the whole house and senate thing, unit bicameral, unicameral. Like, why can't just one person like just tweet something and now it's done? Like, we're but instead, there's a layer process, and with that safe banking act, people don't understand that now it's going to what the house. Uh, it's done with the house, made it out of the house, going to the Senate. Senate. So yeah, it's gotta go through one to another. Like mm-hmm. people just assume, like, oh, it got through. Like people got excited, but we still got another layer, another hurdle. Yeah, some of that responsibility uh, you know, lies on uh you know media outlets to you know, they just send those sensational clips like, oh, safe banking act is approved, and you know, and they think, you know, oh, it's gonna be law. It's like, no, it's approved by you know the house now, it's gotta go to the Senate. So, and then once it's through the Senate, it still has to get signed by the president, right? Yeah, which I think you know Trump would would do. So Trump well, would do it. Well, what about President Pence? Pence, was that? Pence is not going to be president. No, it's not going to. We're not going to impeach the guy. We're just going to get him out of office next year. You don't and think it's Bernie? Be- well, like that. Hey, uh, can't. It wasn't one of Bernie's things that he said he was going to try to legalize it effectively day one through an executive yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the authority to do that. You know, this is outside of my wheelhouse. I don't, yeah. outside of area of expertise, but I didn't know he did. Uh, but I'd like to see him try. Yeah, <laughs> he tweeted that on 420, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he released it. Yeah. Yeah, All right. 
Hey, actually, I want to thank you for coming. We've been going on for about yeah. an hour. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, man, uh, I have a, a low presence or a small presence on social media. Uh, is, that a, so. is that intentional? Intentional, <laughs> yeah. What's well, the good stuff? Uh, we, you, got the... you can look me up on LinkedIn. Nice. All right, yeah, before, we, before we head out, I wanted to get to one thing on this. We've, we've asked a poll about, because this is the second um, – activist hour which ah. didn't work uh and so it's it, we've asked them like what should we call it the cannabis conversation the high oily hour the sunday sesh or the cannabis congregation and currently the cannabis congregation is just killing it out there so uh, if you guys see this on the channel uh please give it a vote and uh you, that, you know um see you next time all right thanks for having me appreciate yeah. it Keely. thank you so much thank you